I'll keep that open and um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words of yours and we thank you for your wonderful gift to us in Jesus. Um, Help us understand these words now in his name. Amen. Have you ever, have you any of those little nervous habits such as twisting your handkerchief or playing with your ring? These may be a sign of your jangled nerves. So asks an advertisement from 1934. Remember, the advertisement goes on, if you smoke camels, you can smoke as many as you want, for camels' costier tobacco never jangles your nerves. Isn't that wonderful? If you have a bad habit, then you can smoke camel cigarettes, and that'll take care of the bad habit for you. Isn't that wonderful news? Um, in hindsight, how do you think this advertising campaign looks, looking at it 70 years down the track, 80, 90 years down the track almost? Probably not so crash hot, right? Um, it comes across, this is not actually the ad that I was reading from, sorry, if you're looking for the words, but you'll notice here that this poor lady is too tired for fun, and then she smoked a camel, and she's all happy. Um, it, it seems a little bit off to me, a bit unfortunate that um, when trying to cure a bad habit, uh, a cigarette company is saying that they have the solution. But it got me thinking this week, I was thinking about bad habits, and I was thinking, what are the kind of the bad habits in life that aren't necessarily needing to be broken? Like twisting your hanky or playing with your ring. Does anyone do that? I do that all the time. Anyone else? No, I shouldn't have said that. Now you're going to watch me every time I'm speaking. I'll have my hand, when I put my hand here, you'll notice I'm playing with my ring. Can't do that now. Let's put it firmly in my pocket. There we go. Um, okay, there we go. <laughs> but, I read a study from an article, sorry, from University Health Department, and they were saying there are some bad habits that we have in life that aren't actually necessarily bad for us. For example, fidgeting, whether with your ring or is anyone a fidgeter, tapping your feet, and yeah, that's actually okay to fidget. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It may annoy other people, but it's not bad for you in particular. You may end up without any friends because they're also annoyed by your constant tapping, but it's not bad for you, okay? It's not bad for you. Um, what about double-checking? Has anyone ever double-checked? You know, you, you lock the car, and then you go off, and then you, did I just check? The, anyone do that? Bad news is, Kim, that's very bad for you. No, there's, there's nothing wrong with that either. It doesn't hurt you at all. It doesn't cause you, it's actually maybe even sensible, they said. Um, drinking in moderation. They said, you know, the warning is, of course, there. If you drink too much, you can get head, stomach, cancer, all that kind of thing. You can, it can lead to risky behaviours, but in moderation, drinking actually is beneficial for you. It's not just not bad for you. It's actually good for you to have a drink every now and then. It, it helps your heart. And so, so they said, inhaling when you have saliva in your mouth is a bad habit. <coughs> bad for you. Um, they said there are some bad habits that actually do hurt you, do cause you harm. And one of those was um, not exercising. I found that a bit weird because it's not actually, a, it's a lack of a habit. But they said a bad habit is not to exercise. So if you, they said if you do 45 minutes of exercise per week, that's, uh, per day, that's actually really good for you. But it feels unachievable. They said if you do 15 minutes in the morning, 15 at lunch, 15 in the evening, it's the same as doing a 45 minute stint. That can be really good for you. Um, but not doing it can be bad for you. They also said not sleeping enough at night is a very bad habit. Um, a lot of us say, oh, I don't need the full seven or eight hours. Anyone like that? I can get by on four or five. Anyone think that way? I need about 15. Um, not anymore. Not since kids. Are there, are you? Um, but actually not sleeping enough can lead to chronic um, sleep. Uh, sorry, it can lead to some pretty chronic uh, 
diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes. It can lead to obesity or contribute towards it, depression, heart attack and stroke. There's another one that they said, the third one they flagged was one that I think is fairly pertinent for this day and age. And it was related to sleeping, but it's before you go to sleep. They said, if you look at a screen, so a mobile device, a laptop, or, well, that's probably it, really, something that has that blue light that comes from behind, that will actually affect the hormones that help you to sleep. That's what they've proven. And so it will then give you a bad sleep. Um, You may sleep through the night, but not as well as you otherwise would have. Um, Not sure about TVs on that one, but definitely um, smartphones, smart devices, laptops. And then there's the obvious ones like smoking. We think about bad habits, and we think, okay, well, there's some we can keep and some we can get rid of. But I thought about it, I'm like, I don't want to hear this about bad habits in life. What about actually, what habits do we have that are actually good habits? How do we find healthy habits? And it struck me that two of the bad habits that they flagged that we should get rid of are actually, should be inverted and made into good habits. But what about, what other ones are there? What habits can we develop that help us? And are there habits we can develop that will help us and then actually help other people as well? Now that's the challenge before us as we look at 2 Corinthians 9, because what it actually talks about is how we develop Good habits that help other people. So if you've got the Bible open there, if you don't have a Bible, pop your hand up and um, someone will bring you one. Um, Brent will bring you one. Um, if you've got it on your phone, that's perfect. 2 Corinthians 9. Have a look there because as we look at it together, it's good to see what God's Word actually says to us. And remember, we're looking at 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written to a church in a province called Achaia, somewhere in modern-day Greece. Um, and Corinth is the city, obviously, there. Um, in the first century world, they faced a lot of the same issues that we face in the Western world today. These ideas of being an individual, being better than other people, being unwilling to let the good news of Jesus shape all of your life, preferring to hold on to some past practices. We came um, back to this series on 2 Corinthians last week, and we saw that our, our generosity is a sign of the genuine nature of our faith. If we're genuinely gospel-hearted followers of Jesus, then it should show in the way we think of others, reflected in the way that we handle our money. If you miss out on that, you can catch up right here. Just remember that web address, type it in your phone at the end of the day, and you'll be able to catch up on that talk there. Um, there you go, a little plug for our YouTube channel. I think all the videos have one view each. So that's wonderful. That's me checking to see if anyone's looked at them. Um, <laughs> Now, I don't know what you thought of the, the talk last Maybe you heard the talk last week, and um, it deals with the topic of how we view our money, how we use our money. Maybe some people heard that and went away a bit upset. Oh, it's not, not good. Maybe that's because I presented it badly. Could be. Or it could be because God's uncovered a roadblock in our faith, something he wants us to stop being stubborn about and start letting him shape us for his glory. Here's the good news for you. If you got a bit upset last week because we were talking about money at church, then you, your, your angst will continue this week because you could not help but have noticed that chapter 9 is about giving, money, same thing, generosity again. And maybe we shouldn't feel agitated because there's something refreshing about seeing God's ways, His way of thinking. It actually sets us free from self-obsession and free to think of others, free to enjoy our short time on this earth as we await eternity. Um, so we pick it up here, chapter 9, verse 1, and he says there, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. It's superfluous for me to write to you, he says. Um, I shouldn't need to write to you about this, says Paul. I don't need to. And yet, what chapter is he in? Chapter 9 of one of his longest letters. Uh, and the main crux of this whole letter is this section on giving. Okay? They've made a promise and he wants to hold them to it. Okay? Um, I shouldn't need to write to you. 
but I'll write to you at some length. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is probably the longest continuous section in your Bible on this idea of how we use our money. Uh, so I think he does need to write to them about it. And good thing he does because it gives us something of understanding about how we then use what God has given us. So one of their issues is following through on what they said. And we see in verse 2 that the Macedonian churches had been encouraged by the Corinthians' pledges. Remember the church in Jerusalem was going through a rough time and there was a collection being taken up in these provinces. Actually, it's this way on your map. There's... Um, Jerusalem, Israel down here, Mediterranean Sea. You can picture that now. Greece over here. It's got little islands like that. And these guys are taking up some money to send back to Jerusalem to help them out. Okay? And the Macedonians above Corinth were encouraged by the big promises in Corinth. These guys are going to give heaps of money. And so they were actually keen to give their money too. Now remember the Corinthians have this issue in their church. that They love to talk themselves up. They love to boast, to big note themselves. And they made big pledges, which is right, right of them to do, because they were, by all accounts, a wealthy church in a wealthy city. But here is now the time for the collection. How embarrassing it's going to be if the people that have been sent to collect it find nothing there. In fact, it's been said that in ancient Greece, benefactors who did not make good on their pledges would have their names recorded in Athens at a place called the Agora in order to inflict suitable humiliation upon them. Now, I'm not sure that's what Paul's getting at, but that's part of their culture. They would understand the idea of following through on what you said you would do. And as I was um, thinking about that, it made me stop and wonder. And I thought, what would happen if we all sat down and wrote a pledge to the wardens? All right, dear wardens, this year I'm going to give this amount uh, at church. All right, whatever it might be. You might be giving to church and beyond church as well, but this amount I'm going to give to church. This is what I intend to give. At the end of the year, they publish that along with the amount that we actually gave. Would that be a bit awkward? It might be a bit awkward. Because <laughs> it's not part of our culture, is it? We don't do that. I have been to a church where that is a part of their culture. Different um, background, ethnically, and it's accepted and even encouraged to have the giving published on a monthly basis. Um, so every uh, once a month, you come out of church, and on the back wall, there it is. The names of everyone at church, how much they give, and it's ranked from first downwards, okay? Biggest givers first, smallest givers at the bottom, all right? Um, and the, the idea in that culture is they try and compete to get into the top 10. That's, what they, that's the way they do it. Now, that's not part of our culture. Um, and it, There might be a problem with doing it that way. We could get into that later. We don't need to now. I think we can all think about some problems that might come with competition and false motives. But there might be problems with our way as well, right? Because you know, we, we make everything secretive and concealed and you know, there's no accountability. We can pretend and fake it just as much as they can. And it might be good for us to try a different way, just once, to make us see what our way is like. We've got a slide coming up, and the next slide is going to show, we're just going to try it a different way. It's going to show everyone's giving, okay, ranked from first downwards. I've got a slide, I'm serious, I'm about to click it. Um, the wardens have been working hard this week to get this information, and we've got um, ranked first downwards, how much people give, um, and oh, we'll just see what it looks like. Oh, no, it's not it at all. Who was worried, though? I was saying that. Anyone? Anyone squirming their seat? That'd be awkward. Because it would be awkward, wouldn't it? Because it's not part of our culture. And the point that Paul's making here with the Corinthians in 1 to 5 is not that it's about public shaming. It's got nothing to do with that. 
He's not writing to them with the threat of putting their names up somewhere. He's writing them to say, have some integrity with your Christian character. That's what he's saying in verses 1 to 5. I shouldn't need to write to you about this, but I am. I'm sending the brothers, they're coming to collect. And if the Macedonians came and found you're not ready, that would be embarrassing for you in verse 4. Verse 5, so I will send the brothers to arrange in advance for the gift so that it may be ready as a willing gift. You've made a commitment, follow through on it, says Paul, because it should be willing. It's about the heart of the matter. It's about your generosity. And that's more than just giving, isn't it? That's really about our Christian character. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. We make a commitment and we follow through on it. To make a commitment and not change anything, that is cheap faith. In fact, that's not even faith at all. That's just cheap, isn't it? We understand that Jesus saves us, all right? And we, we get in this way of thinking and we think, Jesus saves me and there's nothing I can contribute to that at all. Okay, he does all the work for me. In fact, I didn't even want to be saved. I was, we're all like that, if we're honest with ourselves. I would have been happy going my own way, doing my own thing, but he intervenes and he, he says, you're mine. Turn, follow me. Become my precious child. We don't contribute. He comes, he buys us back. He buys us out of sin and death and slavery to those things. And he sets us free for new life, for the sure and certain promise that he has for us. How can you sit back and say, well, that doesn't change me at all? It must change us, surely. It costs the Son of God, Jesus Christ, his very life. It cost him his life to buy you out of this way of life. Does that not infer there is some significant problem with with continuing in that way of life, right? By very definition, it needs a change. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, be fair income about your faith. Yes, in the matter of giving and receiving, but it applies to every aspect of our life as a follower of Jesus. Get a good habit. Let your life be shaped by Jesus and by his ways. One simple way, as we just saw in in our psalm, invest yourself in God's word. Learn what it looks like to be happy in life because that's what God wants from you. A happiness based on his way of living. A satisfaction in him. Now, has anyone um, ever heard of Godiva or Godiva chocolates? I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Um, anyone ever heard of them? A luxury chocolate brand? Yeah, they're good chocolates, Mia. Yeah, they designed a few years ago a giving box, um, the gift that keeps on giving, they said. And you, uh, you buy the box and you, uh, the idea is you, you give it to someone else as a gift. And they open the box and inside they find two boxes. One for them and one says to give to someone else. So they give that to someone else and they open it and they find inside two boxes, smaller now, one for them, one for some, and so on until you get to like one chocolate in each box. And they call it again the gift, the box, sorry, the box that keeps giving. It doesn't really keep giving, it kind of runs out on the fourth step because there's only one chocolate each and really that's about the end of it. Um, but the idea behind it is very, very moving, isn't it? You give something to someone and encourage them to share it on with someone else because there's some sort of joy in helping others, in being generous to others, in giving to others. Look at verses 6 and 7. That's what he's getting at here. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Our our world says, I think, and this is we pick this up in our churches, God loves a reluctant and careful giver. But I don't think that's what God says, is it? 
You need to be responsible with your money and give carefully. Well, that might be true, but that's not what God says. God loves a cheerful giver, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. And the cheer is expanded further in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficient, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a staggering verse, isn't it? And you'd find that very easy to understand if you thought about any other aspect of your Christian life. All right? But he makes it, he refer to giving. God gives you everything so that you can share it with others. We, we think that's fine with other things. But it's particularly true of what God gives us. He gives us all things so that we can then share it with others. To which someone might go, well, why does God do it that way? Well, what's the point of that? Why wouldn't he just put it somewhere, just leave the middleman out? Like, why give it to me so I can share it on? Why not just give it so they can be accessed? You know, like, I realize that sounds a bit fantastical, but like, we're a church, right, and we've got bank accounts. Why doesn't God just make the money go in there somehow so we can use it? Why does he go through us? It's ridiculous. Or is it? Because it might be that we learn something, or 40, <laughs> while we live on this earth by being challenged to say no to self and yes to God. And people who live for self never actually find satisfaction in the thing that they're chasing after. That might be money, but it could be other things too. And you can think it through. Um, A woman sitting alone in a retirement home, her main goal in life was family, and she gave everything for her family. But the over-focus on family, the thing she idolised, is actually the thing that consumes her in the end. She's alone now. Yes, they have polite family events, but it's not what she wanted. Or a man sipping his brandy as he looks out the window of his majestic apartment in the city with a brilliant view of the harbour, in his 50s, wondering, why did my career get such a hold on me? I gave it everything, and now what have I got? A brandy and a good view, and a job that I now hate. Or someone hits the jackpot. In business, they made a savvy deal and, well, everything came in for them on this one. Such a wonderful return that they need never work again. And so this this clever person says, I'm not going to be ridiculous with it. I am now going to build myself a nice house and with my abundant excess, retire immediately and enjoy all the good things that I've laid up for myself. And God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And your wealth, whose then will it be? Of course, the third one's a parable Jesus told, slightly modified. But um, if we leave God out of the equation, we miss the point altogether, don't we? If we look for satisfaction in what we have, we miss out on actual joy in life. may not sound realistic, and yet it is. Now, I need two volunteers to help me um, with this. Anyone want to volunteer? You need to like chocolate. Who likes chocolate? Kim, you're very far away. Too far, sorry. Come on, two volunteers. Okay, Mavis and... Oh, Kim, okay, fine. All right, so Mavis and... and uh, I need two more volunteers anyway. So, Mavis, I'm giving you a cup, and everyone can see you have two M&Ms in that cup. Don't eat them all at once. And Kim, I have two M&Ms for you as well. Now, I need two more people. Matt, I'm going to pick on you, I think. And Stephen, all right, how about that? And uh, I'm going to give Matt and Stephen a cup. And uh, Stephen, you've got 15 M&Ms. Now, I'm going to give them to you, but before you tuck into them, you've actually got the choice. See, see, 
Kim Jong and Mavis haven't got a lot, so you can give them some if you'd like. Would you like to give them some? Sure. You give them, how many do you want to... I'll go and do it for you. How about that? You just tell me. How many do you want to give Kim Jong? You're going to 15 to Mavis. All right. All right. 15 for Mavis. No, no, you can't take his cup. That's his cup. He, you're getting his M&Ms. Oh, there you go. Um, all 15 for you. Now, Stephen, because you were so generous, you were very generous. What you didn't know is that I have a whole packet here. I'm going to give you 30 M&Ms. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 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 30. There you go. More. You can't. They're yours now. All right. Now, Matt, I got 15 M&Ms for you. Same deal. You can keep them. You want to give them all to Kim Jong? All right, there you go. You can't, you, these are yours. Sorry, no. Okay, there you go. So then that pretty well illustrates something that we struggle with. Have a seat, Steve. Thank you. It's finished now. Um, it, it, it illustrates something that we struggle with in life, and that is the idea that we should get what we think we deserve. Matt, how many MMs have you got right now? None. You gave them all away, and you're now. I should have given you back your cup. I'm sorry, Matt. It's really sucking me. You did give them all away, so yeah, I have an empty cup now. Uh, well done. And we think, we think that what we deserve is what everyone else has. Stephen gave away 15 M&Ms and received back 30, or so. He got a whole stack, and Matt gave away 15 and got back. And we're outraged, and we're like, God, that's not fair if that happens. It's not fair at all. He's trying to trick me. He wants me to give away my M&Ms, and I don't get anything back, because I deserve to get back whatever I gave away because that happened to someone else. But that's a mistaken way of thinking, isn't it? It's not what giving and receiving is all about. That's not how it works. That's making bargains and saying, I deserve because I gave. It's, and we think that way because, let's be honest, we're inherently selfish and we have been from the earliest memory we, we have. Okay? From the, our earliest days, we know that we are inherently selfish. I was speaking to a bloke and he had a three-year-old and a toddler. And he was trying to teach his three-year-old to share with the toddler, right? And he was telling me proudly about his methodology. And I apologize if any of you have used this methodology because I don't think it's very helpful. He said to me, um, particularly this three-year-old boy was struggling to share his toy car, his favorite toy car with the toddler. He would get very angry and very violent about it. And so he said, he told me proudly, I'm teaching him that the car is his. So I keep telling him, that's your car. That's your car. Because he said, once he learns that it's his, he'll know that he can share it. Now, what do you reckon happened? Do you reckon this kid shared that car? No. Do you reckon he was struggling to know that it was his? No, he knew it was his and he wanted it for himself. He didn't want to share it. It was ridiculous. It didn't work at all. The kid didn't need to learn it was his. He was well on top of that thinking. And that's much like us. You know, whose M&Ms are these? Mine. So can I share them? I don't want to. They're not mine. Whose are they? You've got yours, mate. <laughs> Whose are they? Whose M&Ms are they? They're God's M&Ms. They're not mine. I'm a steward of them right now. And who wants them, Matt? Did you really want some? I, I feel really slack. Okay, good. Um, they're not mine. They're God's. What we have, everything we have belongs to God, whether it's our toy car or our lawnmower or our house or our bank balance, whatever it is, it belongs to God. And God says, it is good for you to share. Now, to share what we have looks different with all those things. To share your toy car is very different to sharing your house. To share your toy car, you go, you can play with it, all right? To share your lawnmower, you borrow, someone else borrows it for a while. You, you can't do that with your house, can you? But you can think. You've got brains. You can think about how you share your house. 
Um, and the point of sharing is why. We'll have a look in verse 11, the first part of verse 11. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. As we share, it's good for us. Okay? It's a good habit, which is actually good for us. And you may not believe me on this, but just think about some way that you've served God, whether it's at a busy outreach event or, or you've been trying to share the gospel with a friend and, they, and you have a conversation about it, or, or maybe there's a ministry you're involved in and uh, there's a record attendance that day. You get this buzz. You feel really good about it. Because turning from self and serving others actually is a good thing. Living for self leads to disaster. We know that much. So we should be living for others. Uh, that's how life is meant to be lived. Uh, it's good to give because it's good for you. It's good to get away from accumulation for self and start thinking about generosity for God's sake. Now, there's a couple more reasons in verses 11 to 14 there. I'll just go through them really quickly. Um, the first one is in verse 11, the second part of verse 11. It's good to give because it produces thanksgiving to God. See that there? Um, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And he touches on that again at the end of verse 12. Um, and you think about, I think I've got the slide in the wrong place here. You think about um, compassion. I was talking before about um, 11 kids sponsored. That's great. Um, that's wonderful. Have you ever received a letter from a sponsored child? How wonderful is that to receive a letter from them? And they're so thankful um, that you are showing this Christian generosity towards them. Um, Spiro made this, these slides up and sent them to me. He said, can you put these in the slideshow this week? And you'll notice the verse he used as he put with it. Bizarre. God got to work here. He picked the very passage that we're speaking on this week. He didn't know. Um, he just so happened to put that in. Um, that's a God incidence right there for you. Uh, it's good for, it produces praise to God as you share. Um, this, uh, verse 12, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing. So it, it also provides for the needy. And um, we live in a country where Welfare is not bad, but it's, you know, it's never enough, is it? And it's good for us to help the needy as well, uh, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we have a, a soup night. Where is that gone? Here. We have a soup night coming up. That's, again, why we're decorated here, where the youth group are being encouraged to think beyond themselves. Um, think about the needs of others. And so these decorations have gone up. They're being encouraged to bring a tin. Come along. Join in. Hear about what, uh, why they're doing it. See the youth group. Be encouraged. Um, and join with them in trying to supply the needs of others, thinking beyond ourselves. And finally, in verses 13 and 14, it's a little bit complicated, um, but he basically says in those two verses that it strengthens the church. Our generosity actually strengthens the church. He's talking about the, the Jerusalem Christians giving thanks for the generosity of the Corinthians or the Macedonians. And in verse 13, have a look here. It says, by their approval of this service, the giving, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Can you see that? Their generosity will strengthen the church. You've got basically two groups in the very, in the first century church. They are, what are, the, what's their background? Two, two different backgrounds that people come from. What was that? Jewish and Gentile. And I think it's fair to say that how did the Jews view the Gentiles before Jesus? They hated them, didn't they? In fact, in Galatians, Paul says there is a dividing wall of hostility which Christ has broken down and all can be one in Christ Jesus. And so as the Gentile, the Jews back in Jerusalem sit there and this cash comes in from Corinth and, and Thessalonica and all these places, they're sitting there going, wow, 
these Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ love us so much that they empty their pockets for us and give so generously to supply our needs. And when we think about our church, we think fellowship is more than morning tea, isn't it? It's actually enhanced by a tangible expression of our care for each other. And our, our generosity produces unity. Now, the Corinthians, their issue is that they are all talk and no action. They like to talk a big game about their giftedness. We are gifted in many ways, they say. And they say in 1 Corinthians, we use our gifts to build ourselves up. And Paul says, oh, I think you've missed the point. That's not the point of using your gifts. You use your gifts to build up others. Don't glory in your gifts. Here in 2 Corinthians 9, glory in your giving, he says. Because it's how we express our family likeness. What do you mean? Well, what's, what family are we in? Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, says Paul. What is God's gift? Oh, that's right. Jesus. God's generosity to us in Jesus. And so us being generous is us following our maker. Now, are we developing healthy habits that help others? Again, Paul's talking mainly here about our generosity, and we need to hear this because we live in a cash-obsessed society. However, it's not just about that, is it? It goes beyond that. It's about our Christian lives in general. What habits are we putting in place to ensure that we are thinking of other people? That's something to keep in mind. Particularly when he talks about giving. Again, if you haven't really figured out what you're doing with your giving, um, a simple three steps that we talk about. The first is to start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Make a plan. The second one is to get yourself regular. That might be via direct deposit or using an envelope system, a weekly numbered envelope, so you know what you're going to give. And the third one is, the, the, after you've done that, just give yourself a regular checkup. Give yourself a checkup. It's particularly important in times like this where there's a bit of a financial pressure on, there's interest rates going up, home loans get affected, lettuce costs about 18 bucks for one, um, wages are struggling to keep up. What do we do in those times? Well, we go back and look at our budgets and we say, what's important to me? Because I think we can always find space for what is important for us in our budgets. Um, in my personal budget, um, I have a set amount that I give, some to church, some elsewhere. And I can always find space for a cup of coffee because a cup of coffee is important to me, right? <laughs> but I would never let that coffee compromise what I'm doing with my giving. But I don't think I'd ever need to because we do live in a fairly affluent society and we have more than we think we have oftentimes. The things that are important we find money for. So let me encourage you, 2 Corinthians 9, find, develop healthy habits that help others, because particularly with your giving, because your giving is not just to help others. It's actually good for you as well. It actually shapes and changes you to be more like God, and we can give thanks to God for his inexpressible gift to us in Jesus. And so our giving should be faithful, cheerful, and generous, according to what we have, um, as he says there in verses 7 and 8, according to our means. And again, we do this because of what God has done for us first. So let me pray for us that we'll be cheerful, generous, and thankful to God for his inexpressible gift. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, our saviour. We thank you that he spurned the shame and for the joy set before him died a death, even death on a cross. And thank you that we have been redeemed, brought back by him at great personal cost. Help us now, Father, to be those who don't look to our needs, but to the needs of others. Help us express our unity in what we 
can contribute to each other, both financially and in our service of each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.